Our top story on the KRMG Morning News with Dan Potter. Have you talked to your family about what to do in the event of a major viral outbreak? It's a conversation some of us have had a a few times in recent years. Some have seen SARS and MERS and the swine flu and H1N1 come and go, and they don't feel any anxiety about this latest potential pandemic. Either way, people are talking about the new strain of coronavirus and the disease it causes, COVID-19. KRMG goes in-depth. Here's KRMG's Russell Mills. Governor Kevin Stitt made a point yesterday to address the issue. He first stressed that we have no confirmed cases in Oklahoma. But then he went on to assure everyone the state has prepared for an outbreak. The degree of risk can change quickly. And in the event the situation worsens, Oklahoma has a statewide plan in place that is operational. I've been asking folks if they're worried about COVID-19. What's your name? I'm Barbara. Barbara, and you, sir? Bill. Bill? Bill told me he really hasn't worried that much about it. Mm, some, not real much, I mean. It's going to happen. There ain't a lot I can do about it. I just try to keep low profile. <laughs> Did you alter your lifestyle in any major way if, if cases started coming around here? I just stay at home. I mean, I'm retired, so I don't have to go if I don't want to. And Barbara, well, her plan runs along the same lines. I'd keep my butt at home. (laughs) Just stay home? Yep, sure would. Got plenty to do. Okay, got to go to the store at some point. Not at this point. I didn't really understand at first, but as Bill kindly explained, they've had long experience with preparedness. So you're prepared for this? Yes. Yeah, we raise our own cattle, we got our own chickens, I mean, so... Our freezers are full of beef and stuff. I mean, so we don't, if we don't want to go, we don't go. I understand your answer. So when you say we're just going to stay home, you can, you're really set up to do yes. that. Yeah. Yes. So they have a plan, but Barbara still worries. I mean, they have family too, and she hopes folks are paying attention. A lot of people are not taking it as serious as they should. You know, they're, they're like, well, when the election's over, it'll all go away and all this other stuff. This stuff is killing people. That don't just go away. And it is. But as the governor pointed out, 11 deaths so far in the U.S. from COVID-19, about 18,000 in recent months from the flu. Good news, we can fight back against all these viruses. The most important thing you can do is be vigilant in washing your hands, staying home from work or public gatherings if you are running a fever and avoid close contact. Uh, with sick individuals. For Barbara, it all basically comes down to common sense. I think people will eventually get a brain and start using it and start staying in if they're feeling bad or under the weather or something, but it'll eventually click. And you can click on the open mic button on the KRMG app and join our conversation about the novo coronavirus. Russell Mills, 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. Issues that matter to you. Expanded on the KRMG Morning News 8 a.m. In-Depth Hour. Dan Potter and Rick Corey joined in the studio by Dr. Bruce Dart, the Executive Director of the Tulsa County Health Department, and Kelly Van Buskirk, who is the THD's Epidemiology and Emergency Preparedness Director. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, This is, uh, obviously, it's dominated a lot of the talk and a lot of this show for the last uh, week. It's been around since December that we've been talking about it, but there there is something over the last... I don't know, week, two weeks maybe, that's really accelerated this. What, what is it in your mind that has everybody sitting up and paying attention right now? Well, I, I think when, when you hear about viruses or diseases that, that are overseas, not in this country, it's people are aware, but they're not, they're not afraid because it's not here. Well, now we know in this country it's here. Um, it's not in Oklahoma yet. 
Right. Um, but once it, I think once it hits your shores, then you 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 become a little more aware and a, a little more vigilant. And uh, there's always a, a concern at that point, and it ramps up as as days go by. I want to break this down into uh, four different sections over the next hour. And in this first section, really take a look at what is a coronavirus overall and how this one coronavirus is different. We had somebody earlier this week send us an open mic saying, hey, look, I've been looking at this Lysol, and it says right on here it, it protects against human coronavirus. So that it's not new. No, coronaviruses aren't new, right? This one is, though. Absolutely. And, and like like um, many viruses that we deal with, the, the viruses exist. Coronavirus is one of those viruses that, that can cause the common cold, that, and um, rhinovirus. But these viruses genetically shift so that their DNA becomes different and, so, and how they impact the human population then changes. So it's new. It, it didn't exist before. And when it's new, there's no immunity anywhere, anywhere in the world to it. So that's, and that's when we as public health officials start to to really get concerned about the impact on our, our human population once it starts circulating. Yeah, no immunity, Kelly, and a lot of mystery about what it's going to do next. Correct. Because it's a new virus and it hasn't um, yet affected the population, I think that's where some of the concern comes in. With it being, um, as Bruce mentioned, there are multitude of coronaviruses out there, but the reason why it's a novel coronavirus is it's a new one that we have not seen yet. And nobody has immunity to, and we don't know what the arc of it is. Um, we'll talk a, a little bit later about you know what you think as far as if it's seasonal or if it's something that's going to keep growing. But before we get there, we know that epicenter is Wuhan in Hubei Province, China. Is there anything known more about how this new virus appeared, where it came from? You know, how are viruses born, for lack of a better word? You know, many times what we see and what the, what the pattern across history has been is that these are, are viruses that start in animals and are, are animal-specific. And then through close contact and, and, and constant contact and interaction, these, these viruses mutate and they jump from animals to, to human. And, and then it, we had the potential for human-to-human -human transmission is where we're at now. But that's generally uh, – there's, there, there's lots, a lot of hosts we call them. Uh, in this case, it was it was we, we believe it was the wet animal market in Wuhan, and the constant interaction between these animals and and the close close contact with humans, and they genetically shift, and and humans eventually become effect, infected as well. What about how it's transmitted? We have so many questions about can I t get it off a counter? Can I get it off of a coffee cup? We were kind of joking before our company did away with styrofoam cups a long time mm -hmm. ago. I wondered if they'd bring them back to have something that you couldn't. <laughs> you know, mistakenly not wash in time. So what can you catch it from? Well, there's, there's been pre some pretty good studies that shows, yes, it, it, it can survive on surfaces, but it's, it's um, survivability on surfaces isn't very long. So you could, but it's, it's a lot harder. Um, generally, it's spread through what we call respiratory droplets or, or secretions. People cough and sneeze and it becomes airborne. And you, and you breathe in. But when it becomes airborne, it lands on the surface, which is why we're constantly telling you to Wash your hands, which I'll do after I, I patted your table here so much this morning. <laughs> hey, you're in a radio station. <laughs> so, that's always a good yeah, idea. So, <laughs> but, and, but that's really why we're telling people that, that washing your hands is so critical because you pick them up. Or mm -hmm. you could, you, you could um, touch your eyes and your nose and then, and then touch something and infect, and, uh, infect a, either a surface or a, another person. So That habit of touching your face, we yes. noted uh, just before you guys got here, is that <laughs> I just did it. I just touched my nose. <laughs> How many times an hour? 
Does the, is it 30, something like that, that the, the average human being touches their face? At least. If you're someone like me, it's probably more. Yeah. So it's something that we have to be cognizant okay, of. Okay, Kelly, you're the epidemiology <laughs> and emergency preparedness director. How do you break yourself of that ha- habit? Uh, I don't know that you can. I think it's just a normal human nature to touch your face. I just have an awareness. Um, again, I think to protect yourself, it's not... We say don't touch your face, but because you do it, just make sure you're washing your hands and washing the surfaces. Add that behavior instead of trying to modify the Correct. other. I think you had the best idea. Handle jalapenos constantly, and then you just won't touch your face. <laughs> yeah, that's. I saw the meme floating around. Yes, In fact, my yes. ex-wife, if you if you want to, if you don't want to sing the happy birthday song, just pretend like you got done chopping jalapenos and you have to take your contacts out. That'll make you wash your hands. Who is most susceptible, Doctor Dart? You know, right now we're seeing that that the the elderly um, people with um, underlying health conditions, people with immune comprom- immune compromised health conditions, people with heart and um, and lung problems. So that's really been our, our first concern. And the way the virus is playing out, that's the demographic who's right now most at risk. Isn't it interesting that? Uh, and Kelly, I was going to ask you about this. It seems like kids we're hearing are actually been pretty resistant. Is there a reason we can track that too? I think that it's because they're the most healthy um, in our population. And so, you know, they're resilient. They have a good health system, the good respiratory system. And as Dr. Dart mentioned, it's our underlying health condition. So when you have the respiratory illness and you have the shortness of breath and the cough, that is really puts a lot of pressure on your heart and your lungs. And so um, children normally don't have those underlying health issues. And so those individuals that do have the underlying health issues, those are the ones that are going to be most at risk. But... Uh, there's nothing like a healthy, active, running around uh, child to carry that virus somewhere else, right? Correct. Um, just because they're healthy doesn't mean that they won't get it. And we all know, um, we joke about it, that kids carry a lot of germs. And they are ones that don't always wash their hands as often. So if they do have some symptoms and they are touching stuff or, you know, they're, we joke that they're carriers of germs. So Again, they can easily spread it just like the rest of the population. Do you think this is seasonal or do you think this is something that will build over the summer? Or might we see it go away now and return even stronger in the fall, Dr. Dart? You know, in, in all honesty, we're really waiting to see. I mean, we definitely hope that's the way it plays out. We're hoping as the temperatures warm up, the virus penetration in the community goes down like, like influenza does. But frankly, at this juncture, we just don't know. And that's another one of the variables that people need to take into account here is that we don't know. Exactly. Have, are there examples of other viruses that continue to thrive during hot weather months? Well, if, if you um, recall H1N1, which was our last pandemic flu, actually started in April of 2009, mm. we, about the time that the normal flu season is ending, which really surprised us all. So um, these things do happen. Um, we're hoping that 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 coronavirus follows the influenza um, flu path, but we'll probably know more in, in May. I want you both to get graphic with me here, as graphic as you think you need to get. Um, if you read a book like The Hot Zone or The Coming Plague and you read the description of what the, a phylovirus like Ebola or Marburg does to a body, it essentially breaks down the internal organs and you, you bleed out. That's how you die. What does this virus do on a cellular level to the human body? You know, the, the bottom line is that it's got receptors that adhere to your um, bronchial passages. If your immune system um, isn't as healthy, it goes deeper into your lungs. Ultimately, it can cause um, diseases like um, pneumonia, infl- pneumonia. Um, and, that, and, and 
which a lot of healthy people will get sick, but they'll recover it. But when it's it's so deep in your lungs and, and pneumonia does result, um, the elderly and, and those with those other health conditions just, just can't recover. It overwhelms the body and the immune system. And immune system basically turns on itself. Dr. Bruce Dart is the executive director of the Tulsa Health Department. He's joined by Kelly Van Buskirk, who is the director of epidemiology and emergency preparedness. We're talking coronavirus and COVID-19. 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's news and talk, where we tell you the three big things you need to know every 15 minutes, all day. Now, back to the KRMG Morning News, 8 a.m. in-depth hour. Guys, the coronavirus is being blown out for four it's no more dangerous than the flu. The flu killed 4,800 people last year. People, the flu kills hundreds of thousands of people per year, and we have a vaccination for it. People, take a chill pill. It's not as bad as the flu. Good Lord, we're going to survive. Honestly, I think this is going to be like the flu when flu season happens. When everything heats back up, the flu goes away. So will the coronavirus. So people just need to weather through it for a couple more months. When summer hits, all this is going to be gone, and we won't have to worry about it. Dr. Bruce Dart, Tulsa Department is a Health Department, and uh, their chief epidemiologist. Well, actually, director of epidemiology and emergency preparedness. Get it right, Dan Kelly Van Buskirk is here. Hey, I love the number of open mics that are starting with people. Yeah, I don't get that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> and and B, did you hear the number of different flu case numbers there? And I, I know it's probably looking at uh, state versus nation versus globe versus deaths versus cases. <sighs> All right, you guys, you heard it. How do you respond when people say this is being blown out of proportion? Is it? You know, I, I love when people add context to the to this conversation. Um, and the bottom line is, is that that we don't know how since we don't know how bad it's going to be, we don't know who who ultimately it's going to affect. We know that people are dying a certain demographic. So while it's not circulating widely in Oklahoma now, we do know eventually it's going to be here. So what we're trying to do is to really educate people so they're aware and they're informed so they know what to do when it does come here. Because frankly, we don't know how it's going to be until it actually reaches Oklahoma. Now, it's a brand new virus. It doesn't exist anywhere else. And we're still learning how it's going to play out and how it's going to affect people. So I love that people are calm and as well they should be. Just be aware and be informed and stay tuned to all the information that, that guys like you are, are giving them and act appropriately. Kelly, it's your job to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Do you think that we're overhyping this in the media locally, nationally? I don't know that I would say overhyping is the correct terminology. Um, I do think that raising awareness to it is a really good thing. But I do think that having um, a conversation about staying calm and knowing what to do to protect yourself is very important. And those are the main messages I think that um, we need to get out there is, you know, help yourself. And by helping yourself, you're helping others. If you are symptomatic, stay home. Don't expose others to it. Again, a lot of people bring this up as a comparison to influenza. That's right. We have seen um, over 18,000 deaths of influenza here in the U.S. We've had over 50 deaths of influenza in um, Oklahoma. So I think, and we don't have any cases here of coronavirus. We don't have any deaths. So I do think, um, I think that it is a good message for individuals to be aware know what to do, but stay calm. But before we leave that to their point, um, or to the point that's probably most important, is mortality rate from the two. And I'd, I'd seen that it had changed a little bit. Where are we right about now between the two? Well, for influenza in this country, remember, it's a big end. It's a big um, number that we can compare. So 
we're talking about a half percent mortality rate with coronavirus right now it's about 3.4 percent which is which is why I, we're a little concerned because it's a, it's a huge difference in in rates but with coronavirus as well I mean let's just be honest with we have cases who are mild or asymptomatic. They're pr- probably not counted in that number. Mm-hmm. And just and quickly, so, is that, uh, I think, 3.4 mortality rate, is that higher or lower than the, the Spanish flu was? You know, I, the Spanish flu being the epidemic at the turn yeah. of the last century that killed, what, 100 million people worldwide. So it, it's actually a, a little lower, of course. But, um, but once again, we, we, with, with the Spanish flu, we also had that, that, um, that end number, that total number. We don't okay. have this yet, so yeah. it's it's not an apples to apples. I think um, what you're saying is that the, all, so. the the mortality rate could go up from this. It could go up or it could go down. We're hoping that it it, it goes down, but definitely when it really becomes widespread throughout this country, we'll have a this will be a much different conversation. Our top story on the KRMG Morning News with Dan Potter. It's an 8 a.m. in-depth hour as we talk about coronavirus, the disease it causes, COVID-19, and our preparedness locally for it. Let's look at the Tulsa Public Schools. They are preparing for scenarios involving the COVID-19 virus. KRMG goes in-depth. Here's KRMG Managing Editor Rick Corey. The first thing to know is Tulsa Public Schools already has plans in place to handle things like this. It's really written for like a pandemic flu kind of a thing, which has tremendous overlap into this particular virus. We have reviewed that plan. We can continue to actively work with the Tulsa City County Health Department, Tulsa Area Emergency Management Agency and the Oklahoma State Department of Health and the Oklahoma State Department of Education. So there are a lot of collaboration going on to make sure that we are all coordinated and including with the districts in our area. So from that guidebook, in this particular case, what actions are being taken? Making sure custodians that our practices are super tight in the cleaning of surfaces because that's a really significant issue with this virus, keeping surfaces clean and just making sure that we have all those practices in place. Place. We also have a rule that's like a fumigation system. We're looking into purchasing additional of those machines in, in the event that we need those. In the event there is an outbreak or this grows, and, and whether or not we need to consider how we manage our school system if we have to close schools. And so what does that mean for employees? What it mean for learning? How would all of that work? So we ask if that's even a possibility. We certainly have enough devices and we have physical tools in terms of computers and Chromebooks and software programs and things like that. What I think is a more of a challenge is how many students have that level of experience with it. And an even bigger challenge for us in Tulsa is connectivity. So whether or not our students have internet access at home. And so those are things that we're looking into right now. Bottom line, there's a plan in place. Precautions are already being taken. And where we go from here depends on the spread of the virus. Rick Corey, 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. Issues that matter to you. Expanded on the KRMG Morning News 8 a.m. In-Depth Hour. Don't pop the bubble wrap. The air in it's from China. (laughs) (laughs) Don't pop the bubble wrap. The air in it is from China. Makes a point. Uh, Dan Potter, Rick Corey with Dr. Bruce Dart, the uh, executive director of the Tulsa Health Department, and Kelly Van Buskirk, the uh, director of emergency preparedness and epidemiology. 
It does bring to mind, though, okay, let's say we've purchased something on Amazon that was manufactured and packaged in China. Do we need to be wiping that thing down when it gets to the house? You know, we're, and I've gotten that question probably a gazillion times now. And, you know, what the World Health Organization is telling us is that this virus can survive on surfaces for up to, up to um, for several hours, up to maybe a day or two. So chances are, no, you don't have to wipe down every, okay. everything that comes from China. So. All right. It's an 8 a.m. in-depth hour. We've kind of been breaking it down into knowing our enemy first and then gathering our defenses against that enemy being the novel coronavirus and now kind of into the battle plan. But, but I want to double back because we never really got a chance to go, I think, in-depth on what the symptoms look like. And I've, I've heard many times that you're going to start feeling like you have the flu, well, mm-hmm. every year's flu is a little bit different. Some of those attack the stomach. Some of those attack the, the, the head, give you a fever. Some don't. So what are the symptoms associated with infection with this coronavirus? Yeah, and, and it is very similar to the flu. I mean, it's fever, it's coughing, it's shortness of breath. And those are our primary three for coronavirus. And um, with, with fever or with influenza, you would add body aches to that same list. So, Are there it, some adults who will have it, who will carry it, who will not show any symptoms? What we're seeing is, is that we have adults who are either very mild or what we call um, asymptomatic, where they have no symptoms whatsoever, uh, but yet they they have coronavirus and are actually shedding virus as well. And that's part that's some of the thing part of the thing that's really scary about this. Another thing that's scary is you may have it, you may tell your doctor about it, you may get sick and be very sick and still not know if you have it because there's no. There are ways to test for it, but there's no testing available right now, at least in Oklahoma, correct? No. And Kelly, you want to talk about what the testing process is here in, in Oklahoma? Because um, it, it does exist, and the CDC has been doing it, but we have a new process now. Kelly? Yeah. So uh, we do have testing that is going to be available uh, hopefully sometime next week. Um, the testing kits are here. They are working to validate those tests. Part of that process is just making sure that the public health lab at the state can run them and they are getting the results that are expected. So when those are up and running, we'll be able to start sending samples from here to our public health lab here in Oklahoma. They will do testing. A negative test comes back as negative. A positive test would come back as a presumptive positive. It would go on further to CDC for confirmatory testing. But it will help speed up the process. So um, as we have pending PUIs out there right now, or um, persons under investigation. Two um, of them, right? Yes, we currently mm-hmm. have two. Um, those individuals are self-isolating, quarantining for 14 days to not. What um, part of the state are they in, can you say? Oklahoma. <laughs> you cannot say. Okay. No, right. we can't. No, we can't. We won't release. Um, we won't release information about people that we're monitoring um, or individuals that are PUIs and what part of the state they're in. If we were to have a positive case, we will um, notify the public of what county of residency that individual is in. How quickly will they be able to turn around test results for a presumptive positive or a negative in Oklahoma City? 24 to 48 hours. Wow. That's and so, yeah, yeah, so that is pretty quick. And um, and that's really exciting because right now it is about, um, you know, it can be a three to four day process by the time mm-hmm. we get the sample, get it sent to CDC and they do the testing. So let's do move on to response. What does the health department do? What's the level of expo- response if, if this starts to kind of pick up and grow? And where are you right now? So... And I think this is interesting because when, when H1N1 hit, as you recall, um, we didn't have a vaccine right Yeah, I away. recall. <laughs> so, so with coronavirus, we know that, that there's no therapies and there's no vaccines. Ordinarily, if we had those tools, we'd be pushing that, that, um, those assets out. So 
right now, since there isn't any, and, and there's there's no way to actually treat for the virus itself, we the, the physicians will treat for the actual symptoms. We ask patients to um, self-isolate and stay home. Um, don't go to large gatherings and and really do the things that we, we've talked about in, in terms of, of coughing, cover your cough and sneezing. And, and, but until we get therapies and vaccine, um, we treat the symptoms, we, we self-isolate, we stay away from, from the, the actual public, and um, hopefully those, that palliative care, we call it, will, will help you um, recover from it. Okay. Um, I'm going to make this personal. Uh, and, and maybe it'll be illustrative for other people who are contemplating A, travel, and B, being around crowds. And B, B, uh, C, being around kids. Next week, Wednesday, I'm supposed to fly to Indianapolis for the Music for All National Concert Festival, which will bring middle school and high school musicians from all over this country and from Asia and Europe, 3,500 of them, to Indianapolis for four days of concerts, dinners, you know, meetings, close proximity stuff with young people. Should that A, should that event be held? And would you recommend going? And then just talk overall about travel and getting on an airplane with a group of people, too. Well, and, you know, so we have spring break coming up as well. And, yeah. and I think many people are, are, are worried about that. You know, from a public health perspective, we get worried about spring break no matter what, because kids go to, to places where there's large gatherings. They bring all kinds of other issues with them. It's not too it's not too rare that after spring break we start to see measles cases, mumps cases, chicken bug cases. So. The, those those fears for us have always been there. Now with coronavirus, that's ramped up. So the CDC does have travel guidelines on the, on the CDC website. I would recommend everybody review those travel guidelines because it gives you information about whether you should go to those those type of, of events. I mean, I don't want to sit here and say that that a certain event should or should not be held because that's not my call. Right. Um, but the at least with the with the CDC travel guidelines and the awareness that they give you, you can make it helps people make decisions about whether they should go or not. Okay. Kelly. Kelly, I think it's important too to remember that the general risk to the public is low. So the spread right now is low. Yeah, we are seeing regions in the U.S. that are having um, some community spread um, more than others, but the general risk right now to the public is low. See if we can get this open mic in before the break here. What kills the virus if you're trying to clean a countertop or something like that? What kind of cleaner should you use? Any household um, disinfectant. So you know, and, and people use use a. Uh, Clorox and Lysol and those kind of things, and they all work, right. and they, it kills everything. And clean your phone. Yes. Oh, you know what? We've, we've talked a lot about hand washing and, and covering your mouth and all that stuff. I haven't heard anybody yet say clean your phone. That's the Petri dish right there. <laughs> yeah, clean that phone. 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's news and talk, where we tell you the three big things you need to know every 15 minutes, all day. Now, back to the KRMG Morning News, 8 a.m. in-depth hour. Can you ask the health people about the age group of the people that are actually dying uh, from the virus itself? Okay, I, I, we've talked a little bit about the mortality rate and the fact that it's mostly elderly and people with underlying conditions that have died, right? That's correct, yes. Um, but I want to <laughs> caution against fixating on mortality because you don't want to get this thing period, right? That's correct. A lot of people, young people, healthy people have gotten very sick and probably wished they'd die from this virus, correct? Yes. 
And, and I think that's what, you know, while just because someone's not dying, um, all of us who have been sick in the past, you know how that makes you feel. Yeah. And it's not a pleasant experience. So well, either way, you don't want this. It's not just that. It's if you have to be home for 14 days, if you can't telecommute from there, what happens with your job? There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of this. Yeah, it's going to affect a lot of things. It's not just that, right? What, what is this text? Dan, local mails, local mail arrives from local utilities. Quickly, do we nuke mail or place in freezer before opening? <laughs> okay. Get it out of the freezer. <laughs> you, you go ahead and put your I mean, utility bill in the freezer. Leave it there for a month. And then put it and, in the microwave. And or then put it open in the your mail and wash your hands after. There you go. I mean, go. let's go back to washing our hands. Thank you, Kelly Van Buskirk. Okay, sh- let's, we, we've, got a, before, we've got about three minutes left. We've got to talk about masks because uh, nothing's elicited a greater response than when I talk. I'm going to cough now. Into my elbow. Good job. I appreciate that you coughed. You kept it. Good job. Thank you. All right. So um, I went to Lowe's last weekend looking for a mask so I could uh, blow some dirt out of my mom's garage and didn't want to breathe the mold that I thought may have been in the garage. So an industrial mask worked great for sawdust and mold and large particulate matter, right? I never, it never even occurred to me that when I went to Lowe's that they might be out of the things. They're out of even the industrial mm-hmm. face mask. So, Dr. Dart, tell us why we shouldn't be out stockpiling face masks. Thank you. I'm really glad you, you brought that up. I mean, people have been hoarding face masks, and they think that it will prevent them from getting this illness. Well, it actually does not. Um, the, only, the only thing face masks really helps is if you actually have the illness, it might help you from spreading it to other people. It's not going to prevent you because most people are getting this either from droplet spread or from um, touching a surface that has it and then touching the eyes and, and nose and mouth. So masks won't help you with that. And not any kind? I mean, is there a brand? Is there a specific, you know, a more complete one, so to speak? Well, there, there is I can a, hear people saying, well, then why do doctors wear them? So there is a brand called N95, which is fitted. Um, which we really want to save for our healthcare providers. We don't want people to go um, do a run on those masks. Our frontline healthcare yeah. providers, our emergency responders, our, our EMS, our police officers, our EMT. I mean, they need those masks because they don't know what situation they're, they're walking into. And then, Kelly, um, people don't use masks right when they wear them anyway, right? No, and that's the thing. With the N95s, there is a fit test process to go through because if they are not securely on your face and to the shape of your face, there's ways to get um, droplets in there. The myth also is that healthy people wearing masks, again, it goes back to that how many times you touch your face. Somebody's not healthy in front of you and coughing, droplets can contaminate the mask. You take the mask off, you've now contaminated your hands, you touch your face, you've possibly exposed yourself to some germs. And the number of people who will wear a mask all day and then go into a restaurant and take it off. And, and it's kind <laughs> go of Go to a buffet, start grabbing all those handles. In the break, we found out that neither Dr. Dart nor Kelly Van Busker go to buffets. It's a preference. It's just a preference. There's nothing against buffets. I prefer not to. Are you saying we do? <laughs> Thank you both for being here. I think I, Hopefully, I think you've calmed some people down and uh, given a little perspective to what we're facing here. Dr. Bruce Dart, Executive Director of the Tulsa Health Department, Kelly Van Buskirk, their Director of Emergency Preparedness and Epidemiology. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done.